Good evening. This is Lehigh Valley Discourse, and you are listening to Wellness Lehigh Valley. I am your host, Sally Hanlon. Wellness is important to a balanced lifestyle, and more and more, we as humanity are figuring out how certain elements can lead to positive results. From mental health to environment, including all the things that can affect your wellness, I am happy to invite you into our conversation on ways to improve or think differently about wellness in the Lehigh Valley. And tonight, our program will be focusing on air quality with a particular focus of indoor air quality and its impact on our health. Before I introduce our guest this evening, I want to, as always, give you some brief background or a description about air quality. Air quality, there seems to be a lot more discussion today on this issue, both outdoor and indoor air quality. Air quality is a measure of how clean or polluted the air is. Monitoring air quality is important because polluted air can be bad for our health as well as the health of our environment. So what is outdoor versus indoor? Well, according to an article that I picked up uh, from the Brown and White at Lehigh University, this article said, at least as far as Lehigh Valley, allergies are particularly bad in the Lehigh Valley, said Eric Schenkel, a doctor of the allergy partners of the Lehigh Valley. Because of our rural nature and the surrounding mountains, we seem to trap pollen inside the Lehigh Valley. This article was in 2018. Indoor air quality, this comes from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. They have a guide to indoor air quality, and they said in the last several years, a growing body of scientific evidence has indicated that the air within homes and other buildings can be more seriously polluted than the outdoor air in even the largest and most industrialized cities. Just think about that. Other research indicates that people spend approximately, especially the last couple of years, 90% of their time indoors. Thus, for many people, the risks to health may be greater due to exposure to the air pollution indoors versus outdoors. And just a little plug here for the Lehigh Valley um, and our history. In a book called The Early Bethlehem Medical Practices, which was... Um, uh, referred to in the morning call several years ago, the author points out that Moravians, they avoided the excessive therapies commonly employed in the mid-1700s and relied on herbal medicines, special diets, cleanliness, fresh air, exercise, and appropriate rest for the fundamental management of patients per- permitting nature to heal the sick. So get some perspectives here about air quality and the importance of it because we have a a gentleman who is a consultant for many years on indoor air quality. He does testing and evaluations. Keith Rowe, welcome to Wellness Lehigh Valley. Thank you, Sally. Great to be here. I was wondering, Keith, if you wouldn't mind just giving our listeners a little bit of background of how you got to where you are and, and what you're doing today. Sure. Well, after a number of years in retail shopping center management and development, in 1992, I decided to enter the water and fire restoration field. Interestingly enough, uh, there seemed to be more indoor air quality issues in new stores and shopping centers than structural and mechanical, and it was very difficult to find somebody qualified to deal with them all. So after a few years of operating 
this franchise and becoming franchise of the year, I decided to found my own environmental services company, which provided environmental restoration services, mold cleanup, mold testing, lead paint, odor removal, all the things that would tend to reverse an incident that would happen in your home or building. A few years later, I added an HVAC division, which provided restoration or replacement of air handlers and ductwork because 55% of the time we found out that contaminated ductwork and air handlers were part of the indoor air quality problem. Then I added a becoming a PA licensed asbestos inspector so that we could service all the older homes in the area. Um, I was privileged to be one of the founding members of the North Philadelphia chapter of the Indoor Air Quality, which I had joined several years prior to that. And then in 2017, after completing more than 8,000 successful projects and racking up about 28 years, that company was sold. And so today you are doing basically consulting work, Keith, is that correct? Yes, I founded Advanced IAQ Solutions, which does consulting and testing on a pretty broad range of, of services. Listeners, he is a little modest here, but he's also been asked to be a part of 2022-2023 Who's Who. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, I was also asked to be part of it in 1999 and uh, 2000 also. Okay, terrific. Keith, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us tonight and to help us share some information about um, indoor air quality and what it means. I know that because of COVID, there have been a lot of uh, discussion about what goes on inside. But before we get to that, what do you see the needs and trends for indoor air quality to be as we go forward? And then we'll get into some specifics about COVID and some of the contributors to indoor air quality. Yeah, that's a good question. I think to an extent, the advent of SARS-CoV-2 virus has pointed out that we really need to get back to some of the basics when we design our homes and buildings. Uh, you know, leaky buildings did provide ventilation, which is still very important. And of course, it wasn't very energy efficient. So providing fresh air, ventilation, and using better filters in our buildings, I think, is a basic start. And ASHRAE, uh, the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, uh, Air Conditioning Engineers of America, have excellent, excellent standards and guidelines that have been updated recently. And I think ref uh, referring to them and using them in our designs of buildings and retrofits of our buildings is really important. Do, do you see that as something that's going to be sort of an optional of uh, builders and developers, or do you see that as being something that might be somewhat mandated through EPA or um, zoning? Well, I think private enterprise is going to continue to, to fuel that fire. So I know HVAC companies that I work with and other organizations that I work with that involve H, uh, heating, venting, and air conditioning are certainly paying more and more attention. So I think it'll be driven by private enterprise. Um, I'd like to see um, the EPA and the CDC get involved here, but uh, they do mention it in their studies. But mm -hmm. I don't see any. I don't see any legislation forthcoming. Though I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I and of course we're doing the battle now with the the costs of fossil fuel, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so yeah. you know the the efficiency of the of the heating systems versus the air quality, and we have a, a battle going on here. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Keith, what actually causes indoor air pollution? And what are some of the recommendations for our listeners to improve their indoor air quality? Well, I think indoor air pollution is being caused primarily by a very heavily populated planet and very heavily urbanized areas, shall we say. An increase in urban population creates a much higher level of airborne particles and particle mass particles, which are a combination of particles and liquids. And then we have the combustion emission gases, CO and CO2. We have an increase in ozone. And then our tighter buildings, our our buildings are impacted by what's outside. What's outside finds its way inside. And our tighter buildings tend to hold on to airborne contaminants. So there was a study actually recently in 2021 that reported that 86% of people in urban areas across the world are exposed to unhealthy particle levels. Uh, So that's a a pretty uh, frightening number. It affects over 2.5 billion people, they're saying. So tighter buildings, I think, are part of the problem when we talk indoor air quality. Also, there seems to be a a real trend of people enjoying pleasant-smelling cleaning and laundry products and scenting devices that that, uh, take you to exotic places. (laughs) (laughs) And the reality is that those scents are actually VOCs, volatile organic compounds, um, a bunch of them, actually, with an established exposure limit. So that's another thing that I'm finding when I do testing. That VOCs are, are pretty high inside buildings. Well, and the VOCs also exist in, what, um, paint and um, yeah. carpet and furniture? and. Yep. All of those in, you know, our new products tend to have greater VOCs, but they shortly off-gas. So a building that's two or three years old wouldn't typically be impacted that much by VOCs. It's more what's going to be inside that's being used as creating it. And, you know, indoor mold has continued to grow because of tighter buildings many times. And mold grows pretty easily when relative humidities are 70 or 80%. So we find them often inside of basements, um, inside of air duct systems and sometimes in the walls. So indoor mold, again, I think is growing. And, of course, the advent of MERS and SARS viruses that are primarily transmitted inside of buildings has really tested our healthy building concept. Okay. All right. So what have you seen has been the result of um, all of this happening within the building as far as health impacts. I mean, you know, it's it's polluted, it's not good for us. How is it presenting itself for the folks who are residents or workers in those facilities? Well, most of the time it will manifest itself with respiratory issues where people will um, basically just not feel as well inside of a building as they do outside. People will report headaches, sometimes nausea. The afternoon slump is greater (laughs) um, because their immune systems are being challenged. So most of the time it really is respiratory and just feeling that their body is under attack. That's all I hear. Okay. And and the past two years, because of communicable diseases, you mentioned COVID and SARS and stuff, is there some kind of relationship between infectious diseases, viruses, and indoor air quality? Yeah, indoor air quality and viruses and bioaerosols really have a big impact and a correlation. Interestingly enough, um, 
what's really been done over the last year or so is a lot of research has been done in developing what are key IAQ factors, as we're calling them, or ideal ranges for indoor environmental factors. And focus has been on trying to establish those standards uh, and then first supplementing those standards by maximizing the HVAC systems in the, in the, in the buildings. Remember, fresh air, ventilation, and filtration are the first two steps to a better building. But, yeah, there is, there is definitely a correlation, and there's a group of six or seven that have been most researched recently. Okay. All right. Listeners, we're going to have to take a short break, but make sure you stay tuned because we're going to be talking about those ideal indoor air quality factors that Keith Rowe, who is an IAQ, Indoor Air Quality Consultant, just mentioned. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. WDIY News engages the Lehigh Valley with accurate, unbiased reporting from many sources with volunteer, real voices providing context and definition for thought. For WDIY News, I'm Sarit Lashinsky. For WDIY News, I'm Marcy Lightwood. For WDIY News, I'm Mike Flynn. Listen to WDIY News during Morning Edition, fresh air and all things considered daily here on WDIY, streaming on WDIY.org and on the WDIY phone app. Welcome back to our Wellness Lehigh Valley Discourse Program. We are talking about air quality with our guest, Keith Rowe, who is an indoor air quality consultant. And before we went to break, we were talking about the six uh, factors associated with indoor air quality. So, Keith, would you mind talking about what those six are? Sure. Well, I think first we can talk about temperature. I mean, we all associate temperature with comfort. But there's a temperature target of about 72 degrees that is being recommended with a range between 66 and 75. But the reason is, according to research published in the American Society of Microbiology, the infectious rate of diseases is significantly reduced at moderate room temperatures compared to really cold temperatures, which actually promote viral transmission, or at really warm temperatures which will, above 86 degrees, for example, that will promote mold and bacteria growth. So targeting between 66 to 75, targeting 72 is what's being recommended. And this actually blocks the transmission of viruses or they become much more inefficient. The second factor is relative humidity. Relative humidity will inside a building very often is often affected by the outside and we just kind of think about it being comfortable. But the target range for relative humidity inside of buildings is between 45 and 50%. In an environment with RH lower than 40, when we talk about viruses, droplets from a cough or a sneeze lose their moisture quickly, resulting in the droplets becoming dry aerosols, 
and they stay in the air for longer time periods, creating that viral cloud that will, will infect people even in long distances from the source. Interesting. Virus, yeah, very interesting. Virus particles are most inactive at 50% humidity and retain their ineffectiveness uh, the further from that median range. So remember, 50% for relative humidity is ideal. Then we have particle matter. Particle matter are micron-sized particles, but the one we're going to focus in on is 2.5 microns. These are defined as particle pollution. Uh, they're a mix of small particles um, and liquid droplets. These small particles get inhaled into our lungs and can cause irritation and corrosion of the wall, the, the avior wall linings, and impair lung function. And you can be exposed to high levels of particle matter for a long time period sometimes before it becomes evidence that your health is being affected by it. Uh, 69 just recently started to do a, a series on microplastics and how yeah. they get into our systems, and they yeah. identified you know, something in a lung that was a fairly good size. I'm thinking, how did it get there? Yeah, well, it, that has become part of airborne particles as well as what I've studied, too, as being ingested. So, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty scary factor. I actually had my, uh, my sons uh, contact me about their children and how they could avoid that. But, no, that's, that's real world today. The other factor about particle masses that small is that the standard filtration that we have in our HVAC systems don't remove that particle. It's too small. So, yeah, too small. So you need to add filtration which typically is outside of your HVAC because it impedes the airflow when you try to get a higher rated filter. Okay. So PM, I think, is, is a real big item uh, on the agenda. Um, then we talk about carbon dioxide. CO2 has long been used as an indicator of good indoor air quality, primi primarily because of its association with ventilation. So when carbon dioxide levels are high, it would indicate typically that you're not getting enough fresh air ventilation or there's an untypical source present for the gas. Um, some of the TLVs, threshold limit values that are out there for carbon dioxide are 2,000, 4,000, 5,000 parts per million, which are relating to ideal conditions for health. But the research has shown that actually below 1,000 targeting 800 parts per million is really the most beneficial. So that, again, goes back to fresh air ventilation, the need for fresh air ventilation. Something you don't hear about very often is nitrogen dioxide. Nitrogen dioxide sources from automobiles, busy urban streets, uh, combustion, fuel consumption, gas stoves, kerosene heaters, et cetera, et cetera. It, it tends to be sometimes high in the country, uh, where we're using that kind of that fossil fuel for burning, and, and it tends to be highest, though, inside of cities. A study by the Environmental Research Journal showed that even short-term exposure can irritate airways. So 53 parts per billion, that sounds like a very tiny number, has really been established as the ideal exposure rate. Uh, once again, to control that level inside of buildings, you know, we have to talk about fresh air ventilation and filtration combined many times to do that. 
Wow. Okay, so that's five, and our sixth would be? Total volatile organic compounds. We call them TVOCs. Organic compounds are emitted gases from certain solids or liquids. We kind of touched on that earlier with scenting devices. VOCs include a variety of chemicals, some of which have short and long-term adverse health effects. They also can react with other chemicals in the air and become a, a new compound all to itself. So those are, in my, uh, what I have seen, are really on the rise inside of buildings. Even exposure over 24 hours can re- irritate lungs or cause nausea and headaches, making it difficult to breathe. So that's a real key factor. Wow. The TLV has been pretty high over the years, but we now has been lowered to 0.5 parts per million. Um, levels between 0.3 and 0.5 milligrams per cubic meter are even considered more acceptable. So, again, that relates back to not using devices that emit VOCs. Or it's, a, it's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And fresh air ventilation and uh, in a building are, are good places to start and sometimes even enhanced filters. Okay, so, so those are kind of the six key. Okay, so let's repeat. Temperature, our target is 72%, correct? Yep. Uh, relative humidity, our target is 45 to 50%. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And then we've got the particle matter, and we've got the nitrogen dioxide, and we've got the VOC. Wow. Now, just a quick question. When we think about VOC, because you had mentioned, I mean, there's laundry stuff, there's, um, you know, the paints, there's, you know, um, plug-ins, et cetera. I remember at one time that uh, candles are pretty much oil-based and that a soy candle is better than a regular candle. Is, is that still something that we should be looking for? Yeah, I think that is correct. Again, we're getting away from synthetic compounds and chemicals when we're dealing with a soy candle. But in some candles burn more efficiently than others. I'm not an advocate of candles myself because they always give off carbon black particles that are these okay. part of the tiny submicron particles we speak about. So if you're going to enjoy a candle, I'd recommend opening a window a little bit. <laughs> okay, well, that and essential oils instead of some of this other stuff, I would imagine. Now, you had talked a little bit earlier about new construction and some of the things being considered in the infrastructure when you're building something. But what if you already own a commercial or industrial or your house? What, how do you approach this? Because some of those things are already in place. I would recommend getting an assessment done of the indoor air quality. It's certainly the place to start. And there's a lot of guidelines uh, that have been updated, as we mentioned, over the last year or so. Uh, that can be done over a one- to three-day period. It can be done using devices that can be left on site to monitor the indoor air quality. It's not that expensive to do. And that will help us form an IAQ profile so that we can fill in for these six key factors as well as other things. We can compare what your situation is to what an ideal situation is. So I would recommend that being the first place to start. Okay. And then if, like, I have a house that was built in the 1950s, you know, and I have oil, hot water, so I might not be able to plug anything in because I don't have um, a hot air system, but are there devices that can be used maybe on each floor or does it have to be each room when you, if you need to do something? Yes, there can. And that's actually been an explosion of technology over the last two years, primarily, 
There are four different factors or four different technologies that I have found to be most effective, and I actually test for the efficacy of, of these devices. One would be the use of HEPA air filtration, high-efficiency particle-absorbing filters. Those can be in a variety of sizes, portable floor units, table units, wall units. Adding to that UVC PCO or ultraviolet C-band light, that creates a photocatalytic oxidation. It's basically air sanitation devices. They will not only deal with the bioaerosols in the air, they will tend to break down VOCs in the air and bring them back to their original uh, individual chemistry form. And another technology is bipolar ionization. That's uh, the use of outside nature, right, the positive and negative ion flow. We try, with these BPI units, we're able to create a higher concentration of negative ions, which actually are the better ones, and it causes particles in the air to become attached to one another and be easy to filter out of the air. And even though ozone is something that is kind of a dirty word mm-hmm. <laughs> in indoor air quality, a very, very small amount of activated oxygen or ozone can be used also. I don't recommend using it alone. Actually, I have found that there are manufacturers out there that combine these three or four technologies into one air purification device. And I've done a little over 30 studies now for a couple of different manufacturers that are very, very aware of the importance of combining technologies. And I found some of the best results by far are when you combine those technologies into a portable unit. If you, if you uh, have a forest air system, you can actually even utilize that forest air system um, and put some of that technology in it. But by far the best results have been achieved using these technologies has been my findings. Wow. Okay. Now, obviously, you know, we're in this environment, and now again, uh, another strain of COVID is, is rearing its head, and it's presenting itself as allergies. So the information you're providing us with the humidity and the temperature is extremely important. Will climate change or, or what we're envisioning as the changing climate that we're existing in create more and more of a problem for our air quality? Well, I think, you know, we're seeing maybe... I've seen over the years, part of climate change is the extended time periods of high temperatures or changing humidities, uh, the warming of the environment. So, yeah, I do think it it makes a cha- more of a challenge for how we control our buildings, but the buildings can be controlled. I think we just have to have the right roadmap to follow. And I go back to, again, ash rays as produced um, – a study, uh, several studies that have been updated for COVID control. It's 62.1 is is part of their standard. Going back to the basics of fresh air ventilation and better filtration and moderate environmental controls, research is showing is really going to be, in our considered opinion, the best way to go. Keith, we're running out of time, and I'm sure there's more that we could talk about here. But if listeners would like to learn more, can you please give us your website address? Surely. Thank you. AdvancedIAQConsulting.com. Listeners, for more information on ASHRAE, you can go to ashrae.org, A-S-H-R-A-E dot O-R-G. 
Keith Rowe, thank you so much for being a part of this edition of Wellness Lehigh Valley. I think the timing is perfect with the summer and what's going on with uh, COVID number three. I want to also thank James Johnson, who's our news and information director. But most importantly, I want to thank our listeners for making the time for this conversation. And you can also find past episodes and other public affairs programming at WDIY.org and on major podcast platforms. I am Sally Hanlon, and this is WDIY 88.1 FM. Tune in next Thursday for more Lehigh Valley discourse, and we'll see you next time on Wellness Lehigh Valley. WDIY Lehigh Valley Public Radio, your trusted local NPR member station for over 25 years. Many choices, real voices.